Well, if you, you've been told Happy Father's Day several times, and so if you're not happy now, you're being disobedient. <laughs> happy, we said it. Happy Father's Day. Be happy. Amen. So everybody say, be happy. Yeah. It's just a good day to be happy. There's, there's, there's root beer out there. Come on. Come on, right? I mean, come on. I, I don't know, but jerky just sounds like mean. There's jerk. Meat. There's meat and, meat and beer root. Anyhow. Let us go to the book of Revelation, shall we? Revelation chapters, plural. (laughs) Yeah, I know it took me two weeks to do chapter 7, but we're going to do chapters 8 and 9 today. Happy Father's Day. All right, now we're going to, so what you're going to need to do is just know a couple of things. I'm going to, that means I'm going to be reading plenty of scripture today, and I'm going to do my best to read it carefully and not like it's not important. I find myself worried that people are getting bored, and so I start reading more quickly, but then I realize that those words have been around for two, well, for two millennia, and I have not. So I'm going to give all of those words enough space to speak for themselves. Here we go, Revelation chapter 8. Remember why we are studying the book of Revelation. I, I say this on purpose to make sure that we're leaning into this correctly or, or that we're leveraged to respond. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3 says this, blessed is he who reads and those who hear and those, this is the words of this prophecy, and heed the things that are written in it. So we are here to read it, hear it, and heed it. We are going, this is for us to respond to something, not merely to observe it and go, why isn't that interesting? But no, for us to respond to it. And there's blessing for us if we will respond to this. How many want to be blessed? I certainly do. Uh, and, and, and then why this is important is because Revelation says, for the time is near. That is not up for a vote. That is not for you to feel one way or the other. That is for you to believe that the time is near. And if we live like we believe it, then we'll be fervent. We'll be faithful. We'll be fruitful in our Christianity. If we don't believe it, we will be carnal. We will be distracted and ineffective. So let us live like we believe the time is near. Amen. Okay, so here's the other thing I want to make sure that we remember. Our approach in studying Revelation, and it's important to kind of review this because we keep venturing into into mysterious waters in this text. And uh, there are plenty of ships in this water that have various opinions as to how the waters should be navigated. There are lots of opinions about Revelation, okay? And I want to be careful that you understand that if, if your opinion that you brought with you or that you've learned or whatever, if it varies even so slightly from what I may say today or what I have already said or what I may say later, uh, if it varies, relax. Just believe with me that Jesus is coming and that we should live like it. Beyond that, I, I, all I can do is say this. My approach is to try to take Revelation one page at a time, one passage at a time, and the tale of two trunks. You have a trunk here and a trunk here. These trunks represent our frames of reference. It is, it is common for people to, when they read the, uh, the, the Bible, to, to act like the Bible was written in our world. And so they use our world, they use our trunk frame of reference. And every time they want to interpret a symbol or a statement, they open up the trunk and they pull something out that they have that's from our culture, from our technology, 
from our entertainment, from our philosophy, instead of what John, John didn't have our trunk. He had his. His trunk says Old Testament. Or in his, actually it says Bible. And below Bible, it says other stuff. Apocrypha, pseudepigrapha. Relax, it says it, deal with it. Okay? So he has it there. So when he, so when he looks up and sees spiritual realities, he says, oh, mine. He rummages through his trunk and he says, aha, it looks like this. Or he rummages through his trunk and says, aha, it looks like this. And he's pulling out images from his understanding of the Old Testament to say, aha, what I see looks like this. And so then we need to see, when, so when he describes it, we need to look back and say, oh, what's John talking about? Where, what is he trying to tell us? It's a, we should be very careful reading Revelation and just rummaging through our own trunk. For example, we'll see it today. When we see things like a mountain falling on, that's on fire, most of us would go, ah, clearly that's a, that must be a giant asteroid because I saw that movie with Bruce Willis. Right? All right? Oh, boy. You know, that guy, oh, there, there's a lottery and people are hiding under the earth. That's an asteroid. That's a, that's a meteor falling. That's, it's in my trunk. Or if we see things about rain that's like acid or like not acid, but like uh, uh, hail with, with fire, we think that must be, that's the nukes. That's, them, that's that nuclear, nuclear, nuclear rain that's fallen. That's because our trunk. John didn't have a trunk with nuclear on it. Okay? That's why we don't read Revelation and immediately go, aha, there's Putin. He didn't know who Putin was. This trunk. All right? So that's why we stay with the Old Testament. We try to say, okay, this is what John meant. And then I really believe it'll help us help us respond better to this text in a way that should really help us instead of just make us go, that's just weird. This trunk most often makes us weird. Okay, we said it. All right, here we go. Uh, furthermore, last statement, last statement, last, last disclaimer for the day. It requires a degree of hubris that not even my, my friend Paulette's husband has acquired. <laughs> that was really funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. What I, what, hubris means uh, pride. What I'm trying to say is, you've got to have, you've got to think really highly of yourself if you think you've got revelation figured out and no one else does. And I'm saying that I, even I, have not yet reached that level of hubris. <laughs> right? There are those that are ahead of me. I'll call him. You can tell him I said that. Um, but uh, what I'm saying is the best, the best way to approach Revelation is to wrap yourself with cloaks of humility and go, you know what? There's more than one way to understand this as long as we understand this, Jesus is coming, and we should live like it. All right, so today I'm going to break my rules a little bit. The title for today is uh, Happy Father's Day, Trumpets of Warning and Woe. It just keeps getting better. If you like wrath of the lamb, you'll love trumpets of warning and woe. <laughs> okay? So today we're going to look at the last seal on the scroll. We're going to look at the first six of seven trumpets and two woes. But I'm going to break my own rules by giving you the therefore at the start. Because I think that it will help us interpret or respond to what we're hearing. So here's the therefore. Here's the conclusion of the matter. The closing 
therefore of the day. Are you ready? Here it is. Our world is a spiritual world with spiritual problems and spiritual solutions. We do not live in a dualistic, moral, spiritual world that doesn't have any relationship with the physical world around us. We are, we are not Plato. Our, our, the, the, the spiritual, moral world affects and in, interacts with the physical world around us. Secondly, prayer matters. Prayer matters more than you and I can measure. It, it, actually, measures, it actually matters eschatologically. It affects the, the events unfolding for eternity. Wow. Thirdly, and here's the point today, the main point, eternity is real. Everybody say it, please. Eternity is real. And heaven wants deeply for us to live like eternity is real. That is why the, the realities of eternity break in upon the, the, the times of today. Eternal realities break in and they, they bear upon our lives now. And they do so in a way so as to capture our hearts and our minds and remind us that eternity is real so that we will live like it's real. For instance, what we'll see today primarily is that there is eternal judgment, but measured judgment. I want to say that very carefully. Measured judgment breaks in now, particularly upon unbelieving and sinful humanity for the purpose so that they will repent. The purpose is to say there's a real judgment coming. There's this measured, this, this is measured experience to awaken you to the, to the folly and the futility of your sin so that you'll repent, so that you'll turn away, so that you will escape real judgment. We all together. If that's true, and it is, here's the better news. You want better news? If that's true, if there's eternal judgment, what else we know is this. There's also an eternal place called the throne room of God, where we saw last week, where the church triumphant gathered, where there was no suffering, where there was no hunger, there was no thirst, there was no bitterness, there was no lack, there was no loss. And the Bible says God wiped away every tear from their eyes. It was a place of comfort and bliss. And if that's true, it's more true. And, and, if, and, and that reality, that power also breaks into our lives today in healing, in deliverance, in the blessed presence of the Holy Spirit. And all of those experiences that are breaking in from the world to come are to convince you, to persuade you, to continue to hope in the world to come and to be faithful to live for it. If that's good enough, you can go home. So, in light of that, there's the therefore. Let's take a look at Eternity trying to get our attention. Eternity trying to get our attention. Okay, this is a big deal. Revelation chapter 8 begins with this sentence. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. 
This is the seventh seal on the scroll. Would you all say the scroll? Now, I, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I'll control myself, so I'll just do it now. I want you to remember this scroll. This scroll was in the right hand of the one on the throne. Remember that no one was worthy to open this scroll in heaven or on the earth or under the earth or anywhere. It was, and it was a, there was a desperation that went out to, the, to where John, we read that John was weeping because no one could open this scroll. And finally... They said, the lion of Judah has overcome the lamb of God. There he was. The lamb comes and takes the scroll. When the lamb touches that scroll, heaven bursts out in hallelujah chorus. Everyone throws themselves on the ground. It's absolute holy, happy chaos in heaven. Because the lamb got the scroll. The scroll is not the junior varsity runner-up revelation part of the book of Revelation. It's the thing. The scroll is the thing. And for the most part, here's where we're going to water into, weave into water that people are different. For the most part, what follows after that, the scroll narrative in Revelation is simply recapitulating the events of the scroll. We are reseeing something that we've already seen, but we are seeing it with more intensity, more clarity, or a different perspective. Just like we said two weeks ago, me talking with Sean Cyril, talking about the book of Revelation, and he said, is it like when you're standing in the ocean, and there's one ocean, but you see multiple waves coming at you? Different waves are coming from different directions, but it's the same water, same sea. I said, that's a great illustration of the book of Revelation. Some things that we see are linear and sequential. A lot of what we see is a re-presentation of the big picture. Okay, here we have it. The lamb breaks the seventh seal. There was silence in heaven for about a half hour. This is the seventh seal. And what happens after he breaks the seventh? Do you remember the sixth seal? The sixth seal is broken. The skies are torn apart. The earth, the, the, the sun darkens. The moon, the, fall, the, 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 the stars fall. And, and, and we read in Matthew 24 that the Son of Man comes, comes, in, comes on the clouds with power and with glory and he gathers up the elect the end there there what what do you what is the encore for the son of man coming in power and glory there isn't one that's it so the seventh seal opens and there's silence silence is the ultimate expression of honor of wonder of awe it's one thing to clap when someone walks in the room. It's another thing if everyone dropped and was totally silent. Where no words, no speech would be appropriate. Silence, even in heaven. This is the response to the end, to the coming of Christ. But I want you to imagine how impossible that is. In this room, I couldn't get you guys to be quiet for five minutes. The truth is, if I were in the room and you asked, I would be the first one that would be creating the problem. Like we couldn't, people, you say, oh, I, I wouldn't talk. I can, I can not talk for five minutes, first of all, baloney. Secondly, you, you might be able to stop talking, but you will clear your throat. Or sniff. Or giggle. Or bleep your phone. Or throw a silver dollars at me at church. 
That actually came over Facebook. Glunk, glunk. But I want you to imagine a half an hour in heaven, and it's not, you say, was it, was it 30 minutes? No, it was about, John was just saying there was a, a measured, limited amount of time of total silence. There are those who say that what was happening was it was a moment of silence to prepare for what, is, for what was next. See, I have a real problem with that because that makes it sound like that what already happened wasn't enough. Oh, you have something next after the Son of Man comes in power and glory and tears the sky in half? I doubt it. The only thing that would be next, the only thing that follows all of that is the final judgment. So there is this pause, this silence after the sixth seal is broken. After this, Verse 2, John says, And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. We're going to talk more about them in just a minute because we see them there. There are seven angels before the throne. We wonder, who are they? We'll find out in a minute. And seven trumpets are given to them. Why? We'll find out in just a minute. Verse 3, Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. Verse 4, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Now, remember, in Revelation, when we, when we hear lightning, thunder, earthquake, that's a signal that something, it's, kind of, it's either a new thing or something's about to happen. It's, a, it's a, the beginning of a thing. It happened just before the Lamb showed up in the throne room. There's, it's, it's a signal that this is a, a new event has occurred or is about to occur. But what's really important is that what we see is that there is this altar in heaven with that, is, that contains the prayers of the saints. Hey, did you hear that? Friends, John wants to know the persecuted church that was the original audience of this letter. He wants them to know that their prayers never die. Neither do yours. You serve a God who wouldn't waste fish and chips. He certainly is not going to lose track of one of your prayers. You've offered prayers and intercession for God. God, do something. God, bring justice. God, bring righteousness. God, bring change. There isn't one faith-filled utterance that you had lifted up that hasn't been gathered and set in an eternal place. And heaven will make use. That's what we're saying. Your prayers are, are, are make the difference. They matter more than you and I can measure. It touches heaven and affects the earth. The image, remember the trunk? The image that John is using is right out of Leviticus 16, 12. Where, where, where about Aaron, it says, Aaron shall take a fire pan of coals from upon the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense, listen to this, and bring it inside the veil. Remember the angel brought it right before God? There's the image, right? The veil separated 
the holy place from the most holy place. In other words, that, that the, 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 the substance of the altar and the incense, which always represents prayer, is brought inside the veil. And when this happens, the angel carrying the prayers of those saints here mixes it with fire, turns around, and hurls it toward the earth. Meaning, those prayers are affecting heaven, and, and things, are, things are happening on the earth because of it. Wow. See? The, verse 6, and the seven angels, oh boy. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. Everybody say trumpets announce things. You, you know this. The first thing you think of is, oh, something's about to happen. Someone's trying to get my attention. By the way, do you know what that sound was? You do? You do not. You do not. You do? Ring it right there. That was the this trumpets I played before you came down the aisle. Yeah, very cool. 24 years ago. That means something cool is about to happen. Mrs. Dad is about to. Anyway. <laughs> trumpets announce things. Say it with me. Trumpets announce things. Okay? And most of the time in this trunk, trumpets are warnings. They are an alarm. <laughs> Yours wasn't a warning. <laughs> Run for your life. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. You know better than that. Like, oh, yeah, now they think I mean that. Right. Sure. Yeah. They're warnings. And they are, these trumpets are, are, are will, will in succession, they are, trumpets, here we go, that are warning the present world of the realities of eternity. They are warnings. They are, these are, these represent, you'll see, these represent measured judgments that are coming into this world that are saying eternity is real, eternity is real. Repent. Repent. Everybody say repent. You will see that the entire objective of these trumpets is to bring mankind to repentance. As a matter of fact, that actually is stated later. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Wait, all the way in chapter 9 and verse 20, it says, after all of this happens, all of the, all six trumpets and two woes, so, nine, chapter 9, verse 20 tells us this. Still, mankind did not repent. What, why, are these, why are these trumpets blowing? What is the warning? What is the signal? Repent. And so now we're going to see what things are being challenged and how eternity is being, is being, uh, is visiting a judgment in a measured way upon the, the present. The present, yes. Let me say this. Remember that in Revelation, many scenes are actually a view of the same scene. They recapitulate. They retell a similar story, what, what, what we've already heard. It is my opinion so far that a great deal of Revelation is just intensifying or re-seeing the images, the timeline of the scroll. And I'll, you'll see that today, I think. I mean, I see it, but I, whether you see it, it's up to you. 
Jesus is coming, live like it, okay? Um, the tra traditionally, the historicist and the futurist views of Revelation will take all of the visions that John gives and string each one together like a linear chain of events. This happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And that is fine as long as you get to the end of the book and say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? I mean, I mean that. That's fine. I've got no problem with that. Fine. Believe that as long as you're like, come quickly, Lord Jesus. However, I, the, 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 the text, the literature in the text doesn't necessarily lend itself to be interpreted that way. Furthermore, we, we compare what John records. We make sure that we're looking at it against the backdrop of what Jesus says in Matthew 24. Why? That's the, that's the most clear description of what's about to happen, about the end of days or the, the timeline of eschatology. When, he, when Jesus' disciples ask him, hey, how are you supposed to know? Jesus doesn't suddenly get caught up in an ecstatic uh, 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 apocalyptic vision. He just talks to them. So we read Matthew 24, and, and it helps us to understand Revelation. You feel me? All right. Okay. So here's the deal. I believe that, again, the, the, the scroll, because of its significance, sets the whole narrative for what's about to happen. And then the next narrative is this trumpet narrative. The scrolls, when they opened up, they showed us the activity in heaven, and they, and they, and they, they emphasized the, 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 what was going on around the throne room. They emphasized uh, what the saints were doing up, up there. They emphasized the church militant on the earth, and the church eventually the church triumphant around the throne. The trumpets, however, will, will bring a different emphasis, a different view. I'll say it as clearly as I can, a different view of the same time period. Same time period. Now, so you say, Dad, you believe that? Absolutely. Do I have to believe that? No, just live like Jesus is coming. But the trumpets will tell us of what's happening on the world and reveals the activity of evil and the and demons and unbelieving humanity up until the day of the Lord. So I want to be clear that I think to make sure people that didn't, didn't hear me right. In my opinion, what we're about to read happens at the same epoch, the same time period as the scrolls. Okay. Here's what happens. The first, <laughs> the first angel sounded... And there came, verse 7, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown down to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. This, notice it's a, that this is measured out in thirds, right? So that's a measured judgment. It's limited, isn't it? Okay. The, the best way, if we come over to our Old Testament trunk and we try to say, hey, wait a minute, what is John seeing here? We can look in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 5 and verse 2. Here's what we see here. One-third you shall burn in the fire at the center of the city when the days of the siege are completed. Then you shall take one-third and strike it with a sword all around the city and one-third, you shall scatter to the wind, and I will unsheath a sword behind them. This same idea is repeated in verse 12 of chapter 5, but look at the difference. 
It says, one-third of you shall die by plague or be consumed by famine among you. One-third shall fall by the sword. So both of these expressions are the same except for plague and, and fire are interchangeable. And it's reasonable for us to understand that when John talks about this, this hail and fire and blood, he's talking about plague. As a matter of fact, those, sounds, those sound a lot like the plagues. So he's talking about plague. He's talking about affliction here. And, then he, and also Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel tells us why this is happening. Verses 11 and 12 of chapter 5. It says this. It, that it, is a, it, is a, it is a response to the people's idolatry and unclean, immoral behavior. But the intention of all of that is to, as the Lord says, then they will know that I am the Lord. The idea, repent. Everybody say repent. That's the idea. So in Revelation, this first trumpet, we should probably understand that this is something, this trumpet that, is, that, 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 that brings in measured judgment is something that affects environment or ecology as, like a plague would as a result of mankind's idolatry and arrogance. It is not in totality, but it happens. And I want to say this again. These trumpets are not necessarily by any means attached to a certain time, a fixed day or time or year. They represent things that can happen throughout the epoch. They, are, they happen cyclically and sometimes with greater intensity, but they happen. Here's the next one. Verse 8, the second angel sounded and something like a, a, a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. We run to our trunk and say, aha, Bruce Willis, right, asteroid. No, no, simmer down. And a third of the sea became blood. Whoa. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. Time out. Why would it say the creatures in the sea and had life? Aren't the creatures in the sea alive? That's because that word is, is better translated, these creatures in the sea who had souls. Wait just a doggone minute here. Fish don't have souls. Otherwise, we wouldn't enjoy our fish and chips. That's because in Revelation, most of the time when we hear about the sea, we are really, John really means humanity humanity, a sea of humanity. So he's talking about people in the sea with souls are affected by the fall of this burning mountain. And not only them, but mm -hmm, a third of the ships were destroyed. Like every, every, like every third ship got sunk. What's the story with it? What's the deal with ships? Well, what would be the deal with ships in that day? In John's day. Oh, that's right. That sounds a lot like the main mode of travel and commerce. If, if a third of the ships have a problem, we have an economic disaster. Oh, that's, but now let's go to Jeremiah 51. 
Jeremiah 51, verse 24 through 25. Listen to the Lord. But I will repay Babylon. Babylon? You mean a wicked world government? Uh, the world system? Interesting. But I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea for all their evil that they have done in Zion before your eyes, declare the Lord. Verse 25. Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain. He just called Babylon a mountain. <laughs> Thank you, Max. Yes, meaning mountains often symbolize empires, governments, or human organizations that are actually, they're, they're built up like a mountain here. But in this case, Babylon's a mountain, okay? Oh, you destroying mountain, who destroys the whole earth? Declares, I will snatch out, uh, pardon me, I will stretch out, that's different, I will stretch out my hand against you, I will roll you down from the crags, what's that mean? He's going to throw a mountain down, right? And I will make you a burnt out mountain. That's a mountain on fire being thrown into the sea. I want you to see in that in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord refers to a whole empire as a mountain and that he will set it ablaze and cast it down because of the evil they have done. And this mountain, again, from Revelation, likely speaks to us of evil governance and oppression. It is cast into the sea. It is cast. It affects humanity and the ships and the economy. Friends, I believe that what we're seeing here is that this is, this is and you'll see, hey, wait a minute. This sounds like the Lord is bringing judgment against the very things people idolize. You don't say. Judgment upon and the fall of corrupt empires. Verse 10, and a third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. These are things people drink from, right? They drink regularly, don't they? All right. Is that our kids jamming out over there? Sweet. All right, all right, uh, we should go over there. Uh, they're not talking about trumpets and woes. Anyway, uh, verse 11, the name of the star is called Wormwood. Everybody say Wormwood. wormwood. Let's, see, let's see if we can hear that word somewhere else other than C.S. Lewis. Okay, the name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters, the stuff they were drinking, because they were made bitter. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 12 through 15. I got This is the Bible. I don't want to read it too fast, but I don't want to get you bored. Who is the wise man that may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken that he might declare it? Why is, listen, this, listen to see if this sounds familiar. Why is the land ruined, laid waste like a desert so that no one passes through? The Lord said, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them and have not obeyed my voice nor walked according to it, but have walked after the stubbornness of their heart and after the bales as their father taught them. Therefore, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood and give them poisoned water to drink. Hey, it's right there in the trunk. Listen to it further, Jeremiah 23, 13 through 15. Can I just say this real quick? I don't have time to say it, but I'm going to say it. 
Jeremiah lived his whole ministry, and ain't nobody listened to him. He was the most unsuccessful guy. Nobody liked him. Nobody listened to him. Nobody gave him the time of day. They beat up on him. They abused him. I mean, it was a wretched life of a prophet. But almost no prophet was quoted from and more influential after his death into the the ministry of Christ and to eternity than Jeremiah. God is faithful. Jeremiah 23, because here we are quoting him. Anybody cared about him, but here we are quoting him today. Jeremiah 23, 13. Moreover, among the prophets of Samaria, I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied Baal and led my people Israel astray, and also the prophets of Jerusalem. You get it? The prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen, they committed adultery, walking in falsehood. They strengthened the hands of evildoers so that no one has turned back from his wickedness. And... Uh, all of them have become to me like Sodom and their, and their inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, the ones, the ones pouring out this water, behold, I'm going to feed them wormwood and make them drink poisonous water. For, for from the prophets of Jerusalem, pollution has gone forth into all the land. So this poisonous water, this pollution is, is, is poisonous instruction and leadership and the lord says i'm they are going to drink from their own poison the the poisonous filth that they are propagating is going to come back upon them and visit them in a way that actually brings physical disease they're going to drink the consequence of their own poison and it affects everyone's and it affects their health we have we have ecology, economy, health, because of this, because of untruth teaching and all that kind of thing. Verse 12, the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck. By the way, once again, very gently, this, this actually, this, no matter how you interpret this, this happens, this has to happen before the sixth seal of the scroll, because by the sixth seal, the sun and the moon and the stars are toast. Okay, so here the fourth, uh, but the fourth trumpet, and and the and and all kinds of the, the luminaries are affected. Even the night is affected. So the light of the day and the light from the night is sig- significantly diminished, meaning that people's vision and their understanding, which is how John under- expresses light, their vision and their understanding will be impaired. Not man's knowledge. We keep, we keep getting too smart for our own britches, don't we? Right? We're still getting too smart for our own britches. However, as our light dims, so does our discernment and our understanding. And our, our anxiety increases. Our fear increases. Depression goes on the rise. Anxiety becomes the plague of the day. As darkness enters in, mankind becomes more knowledgeable, more professional, more polished, but more dim. This is moral and spiritual darkness. And the point is not to punish, but to persuade to repent. To say, look, when they're, when they're, when you and I would know this, if we were in this room and we got no windows in here, if we turned off all the lights, you'd be okay for a minute, then you start to get nervous. But if, but if we turned on one light over there in the corner, you would draw our attention and our movement there. 
This judgment is not simply to to punish. It is to expose the folly of man, but also to drive men to repent and to come to the truth. Okay. We have these four so far. These four, and we we also had four seals that affected man and his surroundings. There is, then they affected them in, in measured limitation. There's another passage in the Old Testament that we see that how, this is how the Lord acts or how the Lord feels. Look at Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. This is called a suit. He bring, this is the Lord bringing a lawsuit against his people. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. Because, why? There is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, deception, murder, stealing, and adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Does that sound familiar? If it's not, take five minutes, watch the news, and come back. Verse 3, therefore, because of all of that, listen, therefore, this is the nature of God. This is the pattern of heaven. Therefore, the land mourns. Wait a minute. He was talking about moral and spiritual behavior. This is a spiritual world with spiritual problems and spiritual solutions. And those those things affect the world around us. Therefore, the land mourns, and everyone who lives in it languishes, along with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea disappear. Now, I'm not trying to, I won't, I, don't quote me on this. Don't even footnote me on this. Don't say Dab said it. But every once in a while, you know, and I'm just saying, I know there's probably a good reason. But every once in a while, you know, you read those weird stories, and they're like, 4,000 fish showed up on the sea dead. And I go, or I read those stories like, we, we can't explain, but all the birds are falling out of the sky dead. Why are all the bees dying? Don't footnote me. I'm just saying. Let's keep going. Trumpets and woes. Trumpets and woes. I'll take, I'll take trumpets and woes for 200. Verse 13 says... Then I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven saying with a loud voice, whoa, what? not this, not whoa, 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 but whoa, whoa, whoa to those who dwell upon the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Now, you and I, we hear about an eagle, and what do we do, right? Lady Paulette, that's right. Look at she is. Oh, she's cheering for Hudson Bay. I didn't think of that, but she did. Atta girl. I like that. I was thinking about your husband in the military in America. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That too, yeah, yeah. Paulette goes right to cheerleading. I love you for it. 30 years ago, I'm an eagle born. Okay. Uh, we hear about an eagle, and we don't necessarily think Hudson Bay. We think about patriotism and America and right and God and, and saluting things and, and all kinds of but but and so we read this and we think, aha, <laughs> please don't say, look, we found America in Revelation. Don't. Don't. Okay? Eagle, eagle is the same word or idea as vulture. 
You say, well, why didn't they say vulture? Because to them it was the same. They didn't salute when they saw an eagle. Eagles were the same, did the same things that vultures did. They attacked, and, they, and they were surround, when there were dead things, they were birds of prey. So, if you, so it's one thing for you and I to see an eagle in the air and go, oh, how exciting. But you and I see a vulture in the air, and what do we feel? Exactly. <laughs> and that's how we're supposed to feel at verse 13. The vulture flying across the sky and says, whoa. Verse 9, then, then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star. Oh, guys, this is just rough. Just brace yourself. The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and, a key of the, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit, then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them as scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth or the green thing or any tree, but only, wait, the beans? But only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. We read about them two weeks ago. Exactly. This is the same time period. These things, whoever they are, are loosed upon the earth. But guess what? They do not have permission to touch the marked, the sealed. Because what do we say about God? He said, the marked are mine. And that tells us something about, what are these locusts? They're not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and not find it, for they will long to die and death flees from them. BT Dub, this is the first woe, if you can't tell. This is the distinction. This is different than the first four trumpets, which were, were had to do with man's world and his economy and his ecology and all those kinds of things. This is different. This is a whole nother level. Someone say another level. This is different. This is more intense as we're looking clo- more closely into what's going on here. Here, in, after this trumpet, some sort of angel descends and opens this great pit, which, which the scriptures and history speak what it's telling us, that this is a place, this is a place of legend where evil beings dwell. It is the, it is the, the abode of demons. Let me just say it like you understand it, and I'm not trying to hide something. Demons live there, and they got let out, a lot of them, so much so that they look like smoke. But when you get closer, it's a horde of them. And they cause immense torment, but they are not allowed to mess with the marked. Which means something specific. Their target seems to be something very specific. Their torment will be such that men would rather die. Meaning, this demonic torment seems to be psychological and spiritual so that even physical treatment won't help. It says that they only, they're only allowed five months. Yes, that's measured, but that's also the lifespan of a locust. 
Okay? So I know, don't go look in your other trunk for five months. Well, that's five months out of 12 months. No, stop it. No, five months means a limited time. It's the, that's as long as a locust would live, plus it was the length of the dry season when locusts would ever attack. So meaning, even this is limited. Limited. Someone say limited. It is, it is judgment that is allowed in a measured, limited way because the purpose is not punishment but repentance, to draw men and women to repent. Now verse, now, verse 7, I'm just going to let you read that. Verses 7 through 11 describe the appearance of these things. And if you read it, the only response you should get is, oh, my goodness, that's frightening. That is the, that is the point. The point is not for you to figure out whether hair means antenna or teeth means something or face means that. It is, it is a depiction of absolutely of, of, of powerful, deadly, uh, intelligent, demonic beings with an agenda. They are, it looks as if their agenda is to torment, and they torment people who reject Christ, and very likely, which we will see in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 9, the whole thing here, very likely they are, their torment specifically targets those who engage in the worship of demons. They have a king over them who is the angel of the abyss. His name is Abaddon in the Greek. It means Apollon. So there's this, there's definitely, there's order. There's, this is, this tell, Paul, Paul told us that there are principalities and there are powers, there are hierarchies. Furthermore, it may very well, John might be reminding the Greek audience that that sounds a lot like Apollo and who the Greeks, the Greeks think they're worshiping a god, but they are worshiping a demon. And that idolatry is real. It's real. There, I used to, do I dare say this out loud? I don't. No. Anyway, I've just heard some stories. All right. The t- verse 12, the first woe is past, thank God, okay? But the two woes are still coming after these things. Does that mean that that happens and then it stops and then other things happen after it? Or does it mean that John is seeing one thing after another in the text? It probably means the latter, that John is, that, that these are, John is seeing these things in succession rather than they are happening in measured thing one after the other. Doesn't matter. Jesus is coming. Live like it, all right? Okay. The sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. One, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. These four angels are not angels with halos. You don't bind those kind. These are evil that have been bound for a season. And they are released from this place called the River Euphrates. That's, that's very likely symbolic because the River Euphrates separated what most of the nations that came to conquer either Israel or Egypt came from the other side of the Euphrates. Babylon came from there. The Parthians came from there. The idea is a, a, a vast army that's about to attack. The, uh, the, the verse 16, the number of the armies of the horse, oh wait, verse 15, and the four angels who had been prepared for the uh, hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. Their mission is death. That's it. Quick review, we have ecology, economy, health, vision, torment, and now death. Verse 16, the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. You might say, hey, Dav, I thought you said they, they, they didn't have numbers that high. They, they don't. 
That in the Greek, that is twice a myriad times a myriad. That's twice 10,000 times 10,000, which is 200 million. But that's what John is saying. It's twice, it's twice the biggest number times the biggest number I could imagine. And then he describes these horses and their breastplates and their heads and, and they're like lions and their, their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. And a third of mankind was killed by these plagues. Plagues. And fire and smoke and brimstone which proceed out of their mouth. For the, and then he says, the, for the power of the horses is in their mouth and in their tails and serpents and heads and they do harm. My word, that's frightening. But the, again, the idea is that these four demonic spirits lead an army of demonic hordes and they bring death to a third of mankind. Mankind suffers under death. Death that is connected to plagues on environment and the fall of empires and the crushing of economies and the, and the bitterness of our own pollution, of our, of the, not pollution of, our, of, of, of chemical, but the pollution of soul that affects our own health, the dimming of our understanding and the increase of darkness and fear and anxiety upon the earth, leading to, and furthermore, demonic torment and actual massive death. What, and not massive, but measured. You might say, hey, Dav, that's horrible. What's the point of all that? The point of this is in verses 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. Did not repent of the works of their hands so as to worship demons or as to not worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and stone and of wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk and they did not repent of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their immorality, nor of their thefts. What's the point of the trumpets? To warn men to repent. The message is this. Eternity is real and is trying to get our attention. Eternity is real and, it, and, it, and heaven wants us to live like it's real. The powers of eternity, the realities of eternity, the powers of the world to come, they continue to break in and bear upon this world right now in a way that seeks to capture men's hearts and minds and turn them toward the truth. That does that with measured judgment. But once again, my friends, if measured judgment breaks in from the world to come, then how much more will measured, if not unmeasured, blessing? break in from the world to come in healing and in deliverance and the outpouring of the Spirit and in God's presence in our life. God also wants the realities of the beauty and the blessedness of heaven to continue to break in upon this world now so that our hope will be drawn toward heaven, that our confidence will be drawn toward heaven so that you and I will live like Jesus is coming and we will live with faith, we will live with fervency, we will live with fruitfulness today because there's a different day coming. And that's the message we must take from Revelation. Eternity is real, and it's really trying to get our attention. Let's stand together as we close. There's more to come in this text. So we will be humble and patient and try to understand it as we go. But our commitment must be this, to remember that the point of all this if we, do, if we turn to the very back, we'll see it. 
Jesus himself says, behold, I am coming. So, Lord, help us to live like it. Lord, we understand, and I, as my friends, Lord, as we'll see the world around us, and we'll, this week we'll hear reports of things that, that are just of death and torment, disaster, plague. But instead of being afraid and giving up or cursing the darkness and hiding under a rock, what we'll recognize is that eternity is trying to get our attention. This is not punishment. This is warning. We see that there is, that, that our world is flawed, that sin is futile. Help us as believers, Lord, just to live faithfully and fervently and just wholeheartedly unto you. Lord, as the marked, as those who belong to you, we abstain, we abstain from wickedness and idolatry and immorality. Without apology, Lord, we embrace your word. We want to be faithful to your word and live holy for Jesus. Lord, we, we, we dare not risk uh, dancing with the, 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 the darkness of the world around us in order to accommodate them or to accommodate that, that lifestyle. Lord, there's no hope there. There's only destruction waiting in. The best hope for our world is for us to live like for the world that we hope for. The best hope for those around us is, Lord, for us to live like we believe Jesus is coming. Lord, we pray that our friends, our neighbors, our nation would repent. We pray that people would turn away from that which is futile. We pray for your mercy, Lord. Our prayers matter. We lift them up before you now. May they be scooped up from the altar in heaven. May they be sent upon our earth. May they be sent upon our families. May they be sent upon our, 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 our city, our loved ones today. We pray for mercy. May men and women turn to Jesus Christ. And may those who trust in him live for him with all of their hearts. We thank you for eternity, for warning, and for hope. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Be kind to someone on your way out today. Tell that someone next to you that eternity is real and really wants you to live.